Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. One of the areas we have the most questions about is the topic of identity. In many ways, it's the central struggle of every human life. At some point, we all ask the question, who am I created to be? We're in a series based on a book by pastor and author Jeff Little that explores this very question. Join us for this six-week series entitled, Who Am I? And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There you can find all our video messages as well as exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. So here's where we began the series last week. We started out with the question, who am I when I don't measure up? That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, we just went ahead and did the deep end of the pool up front. You know, sometimes the easiest way to get into a cold swimming pool is cannonball. There's, you just can't sneak into that thing. Uh, and today we're going to do a question that is very, very close to that. They're, they're like cousins and they're just intertwined. And so, uh, in a sense, these two are kind of a part one and a part two of each other. Uh, they're, they're very closely connected, but there's still so much to say about each one, we had to separate them. So last week again, who am I when I don't measure up? Today, who am I? when I'm compared to someone else? Who am I when I'm compared to someone else? I don't know what your earliest memories of comparison are. Uh, for some of us, it's right when we're born because you grow up in a family with like five or six siblings and you got a big brother or something like that. And you've got, you know, so you're started maybe younger. I had a pretty oblivious childhood for the first few years because I had two older sisters and well, they were older and you know, whatever. And then I was just like the only little boy. So my, my life was, was, was okay, except for when I wanted shotgun in the car, but I told you about that last week. So for me, the real comparison Comparison kicked in when I started going to school. You know, there's no better way to compare people than to get everybody in the same age range into a classroom together and to try to teach them the same things and do the same things. And you figure out somebody understands math and you don't, and somebody's faster in, in PE class than you are and, and all that kind of stuff. But my, my painful memory began when we would go take class pictures. Some of you already know what's going to happen because y'all know how you did class pictures in elementary school. You see, the tall people need to be in the back. And the short people need to be in the front. And so they begin comparison from day one. I want everyone to get in line from shortest to tallest. Make sure you can see over the person in front of you and you cannot see over the person behind you. I was always second in line. Thank God for that one little girl. True. I'm just telling you, it's true. There was this one little girl, littler girl is what she was always. One little girl. Lady after the first service came to me and said, I was that little girl. Sadly, as we were still in that same position, she was about here on me and I'm about here on the rest of you. And that's just the way that was. And so, you know, everywhere you went, the, the boys were in the back of the line. They're like, Hey, look at you, Jimmy, you're at the front of the line. I'm like, I'm going to smack you if I'm not afraid of you, but I am. So not going to do that. And, and you, the recess, everybody else loves recess. Everybody loved PE class, right? Elementary school. Didn't y'all love going to PE? Cause that was better than math. I didn't. I like math cause I could sit down in math. And I could be your equal. I might even be better than you in math. But when we go to, to PE class, if there's any PE teachers in here today, I'm going to help you shift your philosophy of education because there is something I've yet to understand about PE teachers. They get everybody in the room. They pick two bullies. <laughs> and they let the bullies pick everybody else to be on the team. Now, when the one kid that already picked on you because he was in the back of the line and he's already made fun of you and he starts deciding who's going to be on his basketball team, let me just tell you, it is not fun when they pick like seven girls before they choose you. 
being the short dude getting picked for basketball, well, yeah, comparison's no fun. And I thought it was just because I was short. I grew up and figured out it was not just because I was short. I actually went to a pastor's conference four or five years ago, and we had a moment where we were just impromptu in between some stuff. There was a, a volleyball sand court, and so we were all playing. We had our wives and everybody there together. And, and the same thing happened. There were two pastors who were athletes. I'm talking real athletes. Like, they got scholarships to college to play football. One of them went on to play arena league football. When, when you play football at that level, you don't come up to here on me. So, they were big, and they were strong, and they were athletic. And they were both, you, you know, you would think when a bunch of pastors get together, you're intentionally supposed to be like kind. <laughs> to those who God gifted differently. This is where you're supposed to make everybody feel good about themselves. You're a pastor. But somehow, even at like 40 years old, they managed to do this. All right, everybody, somebody over here, somebody over there, somebody over there, and uh, Jimmy, you can just be over. <laughs> Seriously, dude. I mean, just because I'm a worship pastor, so you know I'm a musician, kind of, but you know what? Here's the thing. Every, I've learned something about myself that day. I should be talking about self-awareness because everybody misses when you're playing volleyball, right? I mean, everybody has that moment where you go for the ball and you like land on the, the sand flies in your face and you miss. Everybody missed. And I did not understand why they wanted me to be like the last one chosen. I miss, okay, but you miss. What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. When they miss, it's an athlete who missed. When I miss, it's a musician playing volleyball. And there is actually a visible difference. I did not know that, but clearly I was educated that day. What's your story? Where, where's the point where you figured out that you were not as good as the person beside you? Maybe it's, it's not really elementary school. For some of us, our memories are, they're pretty recent. Maybe for some of us in the room today, what you're dealing with is the fact that you wanted a promotion two weeks ago and somebody else got it, and it was because of something they were slightly better at than you. Maybe some of us were actually not that far removed from elementary school. I know we got some middle school and high school students in here, and maybe some of your friends who you thought were your closest friends and the people you used to eat lunch with, you've noticed your, your place at lunch has been replaced with that other kid that just moved in or told a better joke or got a newer car or didn't do whatever that embarrassing thing was you did on Instagram three months ago and so now you're kind of getting left out and somebody else is getting included and well what maybe just fill in the blank I think everybody here has got something but you, here's the deal that's not even the biggest problem the biggest problem is not when the rest of the world says you look at you compared to you compared to you. No, no, no. the biggest problem is when we say me look at myself compared to them the biggest struggles we have compar with comparison starts with ourselves. And we've been doing it from the day they said as simple as line yourself up and compare yourself to everybody else. And we just continue to do that. I mean, when you go to high school now, it's like, what is your GPA? What is your class rank? What is your class rank? Who cares where you come in class rank? But everybody cares, right? There's, it's, it's all around us. And I think comparison is such a huge trap that cripples us. This is why we're going to talk about it today. It's something I think God wants to set us free from. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at a really famous character in the Bible. You can go ahead and turn with me. It's uh, going to be at 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen. And uh, while they're turning, I'm going to give you the backstory because we're jumping in uh, really in the middle of a story right after a huge celebratory event. So here's, here's the deal. Uh, one of the main characters we're going to look at today is a guy named Saul. The other one is a guy named David. But Saul is king of God's people. He's king of Israel at this point. And, and Saul, you need to understand, was the golden boy. 
You see, uh, God's people wanted a king, even though he said, you don't need a king. And he said, well, I've given you people like Moses and Joshua, and they've led you well, and now you've had other leaders for a long time. I've taken good care of you. Why do you want a king? And what's really funny, this was not in my notes, but just as I was thinking about my notes and praying over them this morning, I realized they even started with comparison then. Do you know the reason that God's people said we want a king? They said, we've looked at every other country around us and we've compared ourselves and we've noticed they have a king and we don't. So we feel inferior. We would like a king too. And even though God says, we well, don't need a king, you got me. It kind of goes back and forth. He says, all right, fine, I'm going to give you a king. And so God gives them Saul. And the Bible tells us that Saul was a head above everybody else. Look at that. Even God figures out tall people win the day. I mean, seriously. <laughs> He was ahead above everybody else. It says he was handsome. I mean, he was like the star quarterback. And so God makes him the king. And so fast forward many, many years, and we've got Saul and the Israelites, and they're encamped in battle. And on the other side of the valley, we've got their arch enemies, the Philistines. And what's been going on for days is nothing. Nothing. They've just been sitting there looking at each other. They wake up every day and go, yep, they're still there. You guys want to play chess today? Somebody got a deck of cards or something? Because, you know, they weren't fighting. They weren't doing anything. But every day they would send their biggest dude. You may have heard the story David and Goliath. That's what I'm talking about. This big dude whose name was Goliath. They would send him out from the other side to taunt God's people. And, and, and they were scared of him. They wouldn't do anything. They didn't want to fight. So nothing was ever happening. And so one day, this little dude, we, we think he was an older teenager, 15 or above at the time. We don't know his exact age. His name was David. And he, he was just coming to give food to his brothers. That's all he was doing. And as he's coming to say, hey, what's going on with the battle? Here's some food. He noticed that this big giant dude comes out and makes fun of God's people. And this shows a lot about why David wrote most of our Psalms and why he was always so concerned for the glory of God. It, it, it took place even now. He's like, are none of you going to go and defend the honor of our God? Are none of you going to do anything about that? I'll do something about it. And so the, the story goes, of course, that David gets, picks up some stones and puts them in his, his little slingshot and he kills Goliath and hits him in the head. And, and there, I'm just going to go off my notes for a minute and say something for free for the fun of it, because there are people who hear stories like this and they say, that's why I won't believe the Bible. There's no way one little dude with a slingshot and a little pebble could kill a giant. Well, actually, I read a study about this, not in a biblical book at all. It was a business and uh, social uh, something or another book, whatever you call those things. And it was a study about how that was the way they did warfare back then. Because, see, here's the reality. If you send someone like me and David, we were both short. It says ruddy and handsome, so I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll take that. And, and so when you send somebody like us in hand-to-hand -hand combat against someone like Goliath with a sword and a spear, we're going to be dead. We don't have much of a chance. And so they figured out real early on, we need to take the big people and make them fight the big people. We'll give them spears and we'll put armor on them. They even tried to put Saul's armor on David. He said, I can't do this. I'm not used to this. That's not the way I'm trained. They actually had slingers. This was not a made-up thing. This is the way they, they realized that people like me and David are going to live through battle. We can't get as close to the people with the spears. But what we can do is get really good at killing them from a distance. And so they actually would train people to kill with a sling. You could get really good at it, just like people are good at a bow and arrow or something like that. And David had learned this skill from his time as a shepherd because bears and lions would try to eat the sheep. And so he'd get his little sling and his little stone and he'd kill a bear. 
So for those of you who say, this is why I can't believe the Bible, this story is ridiculous. I just want you to know the story is not ridiculous at all. And, and there are books outside of the biblical studies written by authors who don't even believe the Bible who explain the concept. So there you go, that's just for free. So we're picking up the story right after the moment where David kills Goliath. Okay, everybody with me? If you did turn to chapter 18, back up just a couple of verses, chap, uh, verse 57 right before that. Everybody else just look at the screen right here. And uh, boy, I can't do much with that. I don't know who touched my iPad in between the services, um, but that was last week's notes. I really don't know how that happened. I've already preached this once today. All right, here we go. Back to this. It says, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Isn't that funny? It's like, I don't know. Sometimes you're like, hey, kids, come together and let's read Bible stories. And the next thing I know, my eight-year-old's going, no. It's like, yeah, the Bible's not always PG, just so you know. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. And, and you need to know David and Saul know each other. David's already been working for Saul. So this is not him saying, who are you? But he's about to say, I'm keeping you. I like you. You're coming home with me. I need to send a message to your dad. That's what's going on here. So David said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Matter of fact, things would go so well later on that Saul would give his daughter to David in marriage. And this sounds exactly like the beginning of a story that says, and they lived happily ever after. I mean, David was the hero. Saul thought so much of him. He's going to keep him. It's going to be his hero boy, and he's going to be right beside him all the time, and, and he's going to let him be in charge of his army. He's going to marry his daughter, right? This should be one of those. And they lived happily ever after. But if you know the story, that is not how it went at all, is it? No. Matter of fact, it's not long after this that Saul begins throwing spears at David inside the room while David's just playing music. And he's trying to kill him. And when the spears miss him and, and they don't kill him, then da but Saul has to step it up a little bit. So he gets his advisors together. He gets his son together and he says, we need to kill David. But his son Jonathan actually was good friends with David, and so he, he told David about it, helped David escape. And so Saul says, well, I'm going to step it up again. And his, his jealousy and hatred for David was so intense at this point that he mustered an army, and he funded an army. I know if you've heard the story, I don't know if you've ever thought about the logistics of this, but he funded an army to chase David around the country, looking for him in the wilderness and in caves and, and, and everything for seven to eight years. Think about what that must have meant. And you would say, so man, Jimmy, what did David do wrong? Nothing. David didn't do anything wrong. Actually, what David did was something really, really good. You know what David did? He killed Goliath. Now, if you're following, you're saying, no, wait a minute, Jimmy, you just said he killed Goliath, and that's why Saul loved him and took him home and gave him his daughter as a wife, and that was why Saul loved him was called he killed Goliath. You can't say that's why Saul hated him. Actually, you're right. Let me show you why Saul hated him. 
A little bit later in the story, verse 6, it says, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel. They were singing, and they were dancing, and they were coming out to meet King Saul with tambourines and with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. And it would have been great if they had to stop singing at that point. Because you can just imagine, because if you knew the backstory about Saul, he's got a little bit of a pride problem. You just got to take my word for it. And, and so Saul, at this point, you can imagine he's already ahead above everybody else and I think he's even intentionally kind of walking like this like he's having the moment he's like look at this all my people they're coming out to say I'm great they're saying I struck down thousands this is amazing people love me I am the man I mean this is a moment for him and if they had stopped singing the Bible would have been shorter <laughs> but they didn't Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands and Saul was angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me they've ascribed mere thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Saul eyed David. Think, think about that. Saul already knew the reality. Saul was walking through the villages with his head held high. He's listening to the singing. He already knows, I didn't kill Goliath. He already knows, I didn't do anything. I spent days just camped out, just waiting and watching. I didn't lead my army into battle. I didn't do anything. I already know this about me, but as long as people come out and sing to me, I think I'm awesome. As long as everybody says I struck down my thousands, I'm really good with that. Wait a minute, you said, what about David? You see, Saul's world crashed when somebody compared him to someone else. He didn't have a problem knowing he wasn't all that great. He didn't have a problem being deceived and thinking he was better than he was. He simply had a problem when somebody said someone else was better. His only response wasn't, well, I did this or I didn't do this or David did this or I didn't. His only response was, he already has a better reputation in mind. They already think better of him than they do of me. And scripture says from that day on he eyed David. You see, here's what happened. From that day on, Saul lost track of himself, what he was called to do, who he was, everything. All he cared about was defeating David. His entire life became who is David and what is David accomplishing at this point. You see, when that happens, when we get our eyes on the people around us and we start looking and saying, okay, wait a minute, I I've got to beat you for the promotion or I've got to, I've got to outdo you in this competition in school or whatever it is. When our eyes get on someone else, we can't even enjoy the victory. Saul struck down his thousands. That should be something to celebrate. Saul is king of the greatest nation, the only nation identified as God's people. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, this was an amazing moment. Saul should have been able to go, yes, God. And all he could do in the midst of his victory is say, but his victory is greater. I don't want to even think about mine. When we get our eyes on everybody else, we can't even enjoy what God has given us. Because see, comparison is a game you can't win. And, and the reason it's a game you can't win is because it puts some nasty things in our soul. When you begin to compare yourself, I, I'm only going to talk about two this morning. There's at least two. I don't know if there are others, but this is what God gave me. There are two things at least that comparison implants in our soul that begins to destroy us. The first one is a jealousy toward them. And the second one is a hatred of them. When we start to look at other people and decide I'm better than you or I am not as good as you, the, the only option left is jealousy of them or hatred toward them. 
And jealousy, I, I went and looked up the word just to make sure we kind of understood this because we all use words sometimes and we're in different places. Jealousy is a fear that leads us to envy what other people have because it's, it's based in fear because we want it and we don't have it and now we're afraid we're not good enough. They've got something that belongs to me. And it could also be a fear out of a place. Uh, they, they have taken something from you. They've taken your place. And we see this sometimes with a jealous boyfriend, jealous girlfriend, like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be her, her boyfriend or, or I'm supposed to be his, his girlfriend. Did I say that right? His girlfriend, yeah, whatever. Y'all get the point. And, and we get jealous. Someone took my place. That's mine. That's mine. And we become territorial and thinking someone's got it from us and that jealousy toward them. Watch what happened in the story here. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but it departed from Saul. So Saul removed him, David, from his presence. You see, once we become jealous toward people, we begin comparing ourselves toward them. Our relationships with them break down. It's hard to hang out with somebody that reminds you of what you think is wrong with you. And we begin to isolate ourselves. And it says, and David had success in all his undertaking for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? Fearful awe, like, wow, you're amazing. Oh, but I am scared of you. Oh, you're good. But, oh, I don't like you. Oh, that, I mean, that's just a weird place to be with somebody. But we know what that place is like. Because in one level, we look at people we're comparing ourselves to, and we're like, wow. And then we're also like, and I hate you for it. I mean, think about this. We look on social media, and, and you see, as you're scrolling through on social media, which first of all means they're either one of your Facebook friends or you follow them on Instagram or something like that. I mean, right? So they're in your life. You know them. You're in awe of them. Oh, look at their vacation pictures when you can't afford a vacation. How does that make you feel? See, when our eye is on them instead of on our own lives, it destroys us. Are, are you able to celebrate with this person? Man, look at this family. Look at those kids. They're so happy. They're at Disney. It's amazing. No, what happens is I wish I could take my kids to Disney. This is just miserable. How do you feel when their child wins an AAU championship and your child can't make the team? How do you feel when you're looking at their wedding pictures and you're not even engaged? How do you feel when they get the promotion and the boss tells you you were the runner-up? We can't celebrate their win because all we can do is get caught up in ourselves. And that, because our eye is on them and we become jealous, no matter what they have, we become jealous of it and we want it and we want it from them. It leads us to the second thing that gets dropped in our soul and that's a hatred of them. And we begin to wish for their downfall. Here's how the story ends for today, at least, with us. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David, and his advisors told Saul, and the thing pleased him because Saul thought, oh man, finally, spears didn't work, but I've got the answer. Let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him. We begin wishing for their downfall. And you may say, oh, Jimmy, that's a little extreme. I mean, I'm not trying to kill these people just because they got my promotion. And I'm not really trying to kill somebody because they're the starting quarterback on our high school team and I'm the backup. Uh, uh, it's not that bad. Well, it may not be that bad, but we do secretly wish something would go wrong, don't we? When you're the backup quarterback, don't you hope they at least sprain their ankle? I mean, come on, you know. When you're playing a game with somebody, don't you wish that they would roll the worst 
dice number they could possibly roll at that point? Seriously, we do family night every Friday night. And so we usually will play a game together with the kids and then then watch some sort of movie. Uh, Obviously not the story of David with a head cut off of a person, but uh, we we do watch some sort of movie. And uh, so I like to to play Settlers of Catan. It's it's one of the greatest games ever made. Any Settlers fans in the room? Yeah. Okay. Well, I taught my family how to play Settlers and then that didn't last very long uh, because Settlers requires strategy. I'm a strategist. I win. I'm just going to tell y'all, I'm not going to try to be fake humble about that. I win settlers. I like winning settlers. I don't like losing anything. I definitely don't like losing settlers. And as a result of that, my family does not play settlers with me now. <laughs> so, my children have adopted a new game they love, Monopoly. <laughs> and you know why they love Monopoly? Because it is all up to the dice. There's no strategy involved. It's just where the dice go. That's what you get. That's the way it is. Here's the thing about it. They all beg to play Monopoly. Every family. Can I play Monopoly? Can we play Monopoly? Let's please play Monopoly. And they're all as excited as they can be before the dice roll the first time. And then the dice start rolling. And sure enough, by the time anybody has gotten around the board the first time, somebody already wants to quit. They can't even enjoy what they have. They can't enjoy the way the game is going. They can't enjoy family night. All they can do is be angry somebody has more stuff than they do. Man, comparison, I'm, I'm telling you. And they get so angry because somebody else got the stuff they wanted to buy. Somebody, and it got to a point we were playing, and, and I lost, didn't even come close. My daughter lost, the two of us were out. I'm only sitting there to help do the money because when elementary school age kids do the money, uh, it either goes crazy or it takes forever. So I just, I stayed in as the banker. It kind of helped us get us to the movie quicker. And my two sons, somehow they have managed to stay alive forever. One of them, very weird, he doesn't usually win. He had like 13 hotels. He owned like everything on the board, largely because the other two we had gone out and given him everything. My other son owns like four railroads. He can like land nowhere, but four spaces on the entire board and jail, which he did. But anyway, here's the point. We would count. I hope he rolls a five, a seven, an eight, and a nine, because we just wanted it over. We were wishing for his downfall. We knew every number that he needed to roll before he even rolled. I mean, the kids were getting good at math at exactly the number. We wish for people's downfall because they have what we want. From Monopoly to the promotion, to the boyfriend, the girlfriend, to the marriage, to whatever it is. So here's the question. Who am I when I'm compared to others? If you'll allow me, I'm going to add something. It's not in the books. If you read the book, this is not in there. If you uh, go to the small group, you're just going to add this and you're going to talk about it. Because as I was doing the question this week, who am I when I'm compared to others? I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me an answer uh, that is not in the book. And I think Jeff will be okay if I throw this in there. Here's what I believe the answer is. Who am I when I'm compared to others? I'm either blindly arrogant or miserably inferior. I'm either blindly arrogant or miserably inferior. Last week in part one, we said, who am I when I don't measure up? And really the theme of that was insecurity. Insecurity because we compare ourselves to others and we discover in our eyes that we're miserably inferior. That's why I told you these two topics are closely connected. And so we talked last week about how to deal with those comparisons and the inferiority, the insecurity that we have. Some of us, though, the other side of the story, we're like Saul. We're blindly arrogant. And by that, it means we're going to do whatever it takes to defend our pride. You see, Saul knew that David was actually better. He knew. 
He knew David was the one who killed Goliath. He knew that everything that David did, God was with him. That's why he hated him so much. And instead of just surrendering to who God had made him to be, instead of being able to celebrate with David who God had made him to be, in his blindness of his pride and his arrogance, he had to be the best, even if it meant killing the best, so he was the only one left. That's pretty deep, isn't it? to be that blindly arrogant. You see what happens is it causes us to devalue others. And again, you may not be killing somebody, but we do the same thing. Our arrogance blinds us that when something happens, all we can do is defend ourselves and, and, and top it. Oh, look, they gave you a new office. Well, mine's a corner office. Oh, they took you out of a cubicle. Well, mine has windows. I'm by the windows over here. Oh, you got the promotion. Well, my title is bigger. Oh, well, you this, and well, you got that, and it doesn't matter what it is. We're always comparing. Oh, well, you went on this vacation. Let me tell you about our vacation. You may say, I don't struggle with this. Let me give you a diagnostic tool to see if you struggle with this. Find yourself this week and just, just see if this happens to you, because we usually don't notice, but we're doing it. Somebody starts telling you a story about their life, and, and you feel that you somehow got to interject a story about your life to make sure that you show, y'all know what I'm saying? Somebody's like, well, you know, we went on a vacation. Like, oh, really? Well, my wife and I went on a vacation for a month. Let me tell you about it. Oh, you know, my wife and I went to Disney. Well, well uh, my whole family went to Disney. I mean, we just begin, we've always got to, to tell some story. We even might even try to make it come across as humble. But we're just in this world where everything is about comparison. We don't even notice. Comparison is everywhere all around us. So what's the solution? How do we get free of the comparison trap? I'd love to tell you that the true answer is this. J just stop it. Is, is that good enough? I'd like to say just stop it. It's kind of the running joke on how I counsel because people come in and they, they tell me what they're doing and I just look at it again. Just stop it. Don't do that anymore. Well, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. Well, then don't do it. <laughs> I'm not the best counselor. Don't, yeah, that's, a, that's for free. That was actually my commercial for why you should go see the rest of the pastoral staff. <laughs> now, seriously, here's, let me give you something tangible. I want you to be able to grab onto something. The true answer is just stop it, but we can't, right? I mean, that's, that, that's not tangible enough. What do you mean just stop it, you know? I'm going to give you something tangible. I'm going to give you something that will not only be something you can write down, something you can remember, something that will physically, literally consume your time. And you can't use your time to compare yourself to somebody if you're using your time doing this thing. So this is as tangible as I can make it. How do you stop the comparison trap? How do you get out of it? Here's the answer. Become better than yourself, not better than someone else. Become better than yourself, not better than someone else. You see, there's a, something I want to show you here in 2 Peter. I really want this to be the verse of the day. For those of you that are taking notes, I want you to look at this, this passage. I want you to write this down. For those of you not taking notes, I'd still like for you to uh, write this down that we're getting ready to do. Because the passage I'm about to show you has absolutely nothing to do with comparison. And so you're going to say, wait a minute, why, if you're talking about comparison, would you, would you use this scripture? Why would you say this is actually the one scripture that you want us to remember from today? And, and I'd like to challenge you. I want this to be the one scripture you put on a mirror, on a refrigerator, whatever it is you're going to look at for as often as you can. It's out of 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. 
It says this, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Jimmy, are you putting that on the screen? Because notice they did not say, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will help you be better than the other guy. You see, the, the way to get free of comparison <laughs> is to not think about comparison. The way to get free of comparison is to look at yourself and to become a better you today than the you of yesterday. Matter of fact, I would say if there is any godly comparison, if there is anything that God would say, I want you to actually compare yourself, it would be you today to you yesterday. And the truth is all of those things you want to be better than someone else, to get the promotion, to be the quarterback, to be whatever it is, to win the game, all of those, if you actually did this, if you were the one in the office that had the greatest brotherly affection for everybody there, if you were the human who walked into any room and displayed the greatest love for everybody, if you were the one in your place of employment that had the greatest virtue, you'd be the person they could promote because they could trust. If you were the, do you see where I'm going with this? We would actually be winning at life if we were just doing these things instead of trying to be better than the other guy. But the problem is being better than the other guy is all around us. It's where we live. It's all we know. I mean, look, we're, we're right near a military base and, and there's so many military famous. Raise your hand just for the fun of, if you're military, were military, have any connection to military, right? Right? There you go. Look at all these hands. God help you with this. Because you walk into work every day with a comparison stamped on your uniform right here. It's called a rank. It says, well, I've made it past you, but I haven't passed you yet. I might get you, but I might not. Because you might be better, but I'm better than you and don't you forget it and you better salute. I'm not making light of military. Don't, I, hope, I hope that came across the right way. But every day you have to walk into work with a comparison right here. And you can't deny it. And you can't get away from it. I graduated second in my class. And when I tell people that, that's true. Y'all looked at me like he's lying. No, it's true. <laughs> I graduated second in my class. And when I tell people that, they go, oh man, they just suddenly assume I'm smart. Why? You didn't ask my GPA. You didn't ask my SAT score. You didn't ask where I went to high school. I, there might have been three people in our graduating class, and I could have had a D average. You didn't ask. Because you know what? We are happy in a world of comparison. Oh, you were second out of whatever? You're the man. You didn't have any facts. You only had a comparison, and it was enough to impress you. Jesus said, I'm not of the world. I'm not of the world. And you know what? If you're my followers, you need to not be of the world. Comparison is the way of the world. <laughs> Everywhere you walk, who's the manager? Who's the owner? 
Who's the president of this business? Who's the principal? Who's the assistant principal? Who's the general? Who's, who's the major? Who's the private? Who's the recruit? Who's the starting five? Who sits the bench? Who's the tallest of the siblings? Which one of your kids is smarter? Which one of your kids is in what percentile? It's the way of the world. It's all we know. If you're in this room and you are a business owner, you have statistics of other businesses down the street. You sell more of this, you have more of that. We drive down the driveway to, to, or, or the street to our house. It's comparison. My house, bigger than your house. It's all we know because it is the only thing our world knows. I think it's one of the most demonic things ever. Let me tell you what the way of the kingdom is. When Jesus said, I'm not of the world, the way of the kingdom, he told a story. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I just want you guys to just listen. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. It's called the parable of the talents. And what's funny is it was a story about money and a talent was a thing of money back then. But isn't that a fun play on words? Because we're really not talking about money at all in this case. And so what he did in this story, the master gave five talents to one, he gave two talents to another, and he gave one talent to another. And if you don't know how the story goes, the master comes back later and checks in. What'd you do with what I gave you? And of course, the moral of the parable, the reason Jesus told this story is every one of us will answer to God for what we've done with what he's given us. And that's the reason I'm telling you that right now, because none of us will ever answer to God with whether or not you're better than the person beside you. And yet that's our very goal in life. Our very goal in life is to outrank that person. Our goal in life is to get a promotion over that person. Our goal in life is to get a bigger car than our sister or our brother or whoever it is that says something to us at every family reunion. What, our whole goal in life is to do better than someone else. God is supposed to be the master in this parable that Jesus told the master represents God. And so the master, if you'll allow me, I'm just going to interchange those two. So when God checks in with the five, the guy that had five, the guy that had five, had turned it into 10. And the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And the one who had two turned it into four. And notice what the master, notice what God says. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. The one guy, he didn't do anything, and he actually gets rebuked and called wicked. But here's what we really need to get out of this, because this is the way of the kingdom. God didn't go to the guy with five and say, well done, you did the best. Well done, you did better than that guy. He didn't even say to the two, well done, both of you. At least you're not wicked like that guy. You're better than the wicked. Isn't it crazy? God doesn't even compare us to that. I just said, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, when we recalibrate our life goal, that we no longer need to be better than, you fill in the blank. And our life goal becomes, I just want to hear well done, 
good and faithful servant. I know as Christians, most of us say that's our goal, but we live our lives trying to hear, well done, you're better than. I'm gonna prove it to you. If you've ever read this story, if you've ever heard this story, you know how you read the story? I know how I read the story. I imagine I'm the guy with five. Don't you? Nobody ever reads that parable and go, I bet I'm the person with two. I'm pretty mediocre. I'm right there in the middle. And none of us ever go, yep, I'm the, I'm the wicked dude. Yeah, that's me. I'm doing nothing with life. No, we don't. We all go, I want to be the guy with five. And you want to, pr- let me prove to you the problem here. Why don't you want to be the guy with 10? Ten? 10's better than five. You know the reason we don't want to be the guy with 10? Because he wasn't in the story and we only compare. We just need to be the top of the story. That's all that matters. We were laughing about 30 minutes ago because I was always in the front of the line. You're laughing at the fact that I was tiny. I was 4'11 when I was a high school freshman. Praise God, I finally made it to 5'5 and and it's funny. But I'm going to tell you the truth. It took me about four decades to finally get to a point that I was good being 5'5. The problem is every one of you here, if you had 10 seconds to be God, there is something about your life you would change before the first half second was up. There is. You'd want to have a straighter nose. Who told you your nose was crooked? Only by looking at someone else. You'd want to have a different color hair. Why? Because someone else has a color you like better. You'd want to be a better speaker. Why? You'd want to be a better businessman. You'd want to be a better mom. How do you know you're not a good mom? Because you looked at Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook. And just for the record, they're lying. (laughs) If we could be God, every one of us would change something that we've decided in comparison we don't like about ourselves. That if we were the only person on earth, we would probably have not cared. If I was the only human, I wouldn't even know I was short because I'm only short in comparison. Are you guys with me? My prayer for you today, because I know everybody's got at least one. My prayer for you today is before you walk out of this room, you are set free of the need to ask God to change that. Whatever it is, you have lived your entire life thinking, I need to be better at this so that I can be better than. My prayer is that you're set free right now just by the power of the Holy Spirit. It took me way too long to figure out that what God had called me to do had nothing to do with how tall I was. And whatever it is, I just pray you'll figure that out. I pray God will set you free. Because here's the truth. What am I when I'm compared to others? I'm something very worldly. I'm something very ugly. I'm blindly arrogant or miserably inferior. Who wants to be any of that? 
So it's very easy. Become better than yourself, not better than someone else. I want to close by talking to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. You know, we go to church, we sit in rooms like this, and the funny thing is maybe maybe you haven't made Jesus your king out of a comparison. Well, I'm better than my sister. She doesn't even come to church. God likes me better. Well, I, I do this or I do that. And, and we just get all into, are you better than? Do you go to church enough? You know, all of that. No, no, look, here, here's the deal. Jesus died for you. And it's not about going to church more than someone else. It's not about serving more than someone else. It's not about giving more than someone else. It's not about being better than someone else. There's one very, very simple truth. Jesus died for you, and every one of us at some point in history has to say, looking him in the eyes, time non-existent, thank you that you died for me. Now I want to live for you. The cool part is God has been doing something here. We used to go weeks on end not having anybody make that change in their lives, and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed, and we're starting to see so many people that are saying yes to that. 11 people last Sunday alone. 11 people last Sunday alone. <laughs> Maybe there are 12 of you that are all in the comparison today going, man, come on, let's get together. We're going to beat that 11. In all seriousness, if you have never had that conversation with Jesus, I want to help you do that right now. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to stand up right where you're seated. I'm just going to lead you in a conversation with him. Would you all join me and pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I do want to live for you. I want to be all that you've made me to be. And to be the best version of me. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. My simple prayer here today is that you give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.